Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why, would, why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was a, 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 it's worth a, a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, the keeper of the money bag, and he used to, he, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith into him. If you knew that you were going, going to, to die an excruciating death in six days, and I don't mean the doctor just said, you know, doctor come to you and said, I have bad news. Uh, but you knew that, that by the end of this week, that this next weekend, that friends would betray you, that you would be illegally tried, that you would be in a kangaroo court where, where they would do all these things that were, were against their own laws... Because, the, you know, the, the, the chief law of the, of, of the Sanhedrin was what? To preserve life. That was their number one law. And they would break that number one law. That you would be beaten to the inch of your life. That you would be put on a cross. And it only, took you, it only would take you six hours to die. Would you keep... Would you keep, like, doing it? Would you keep your everyday routine? Would you, would you continue to live as you always have lived? You know, we always talk about, but, you know, if back in the early 90s or mid-90s, you know, you had the bracelets, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, here's what Jesus would do, because this is very interesting to think about. Jesus knew that this was going to happen to him. If you knew, how would you treat your friends? 
How would you treat Judas? I mean, Jesus knew. He's all-knowing. He's God. He knows the one that's going to betray him. It's sitting there at the, at the table with him, eating the meal. If you knew, how would you treat him? How would you eat your meal? Would you do it really slowly? Would you do it quickly? You know, there's things I got to do. I'm, you know, I only got six days left. Come on, guys, let's eat up. You're, you're, you're kind of slow there. Here Jesus is sitting in a mill, and he's acting just normal. And for Jesus, it is normal. Jesus is just a few miles from Jerusalem at this point. He's at Bethany. It's like a, a half a day's walk just over the, the Mount of Olives. You know, just a couple of miles, just going over the hill. So Jesus is in Bethany having this meal. And, you know, often when, when Jesus would come to Jerusalem, they would go to his friend's house and, and kind of hang out and eat. And, you know, they'd go into the, uh, to the temple during the day, but then they would go back over the, the hill to, to his friend's house. And we get the feeling that, that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were, were kind of of the upper class. This is kind of where the, they were housed, a little outside of the, the city, yet close enough. You know, Martha was a, was a homeowner, and it's very unusual in the first century for a woman to, uh, to, to own her own home. So Martha puts together this very nice dinner for them. And they're sitting around on the floor, because that's how they ate down there. And they had low tables, and they would kind of recline and sit down, and some just, the food would just be put out on the floor. And they wouldn't even have a table, and they'd recline, and they'd sit there and eat. And that's why it was so important for people to have their feet washed, because you're sitting right next to somebody's feet. So the scribes and the teachers, they, they, they would always be sitting down. The teacher would sit in a chair and, and the people would stand in respect. But, but here they're around friends and, and they're all just sitting around. So they're sitting around the table eating dinner and, and Mary, you know, takes this leader of a very costly spikenard. It's a, it's a type of uh, perfume. And it breaks the neck of the jar and just pours it all over Jesus' feet. About 11 ounces worth. And then wipes his feet with her hair. Now, this is very interesting to me because I started thinking about this and I really came to the conclusion. Different people react differently to Jesus, don't they? I mean, you, you got some people that, man, they come to Jesus, they're so passionate, and you're like, dude, just get out of my face a little bit. I, I know you're excited, but calm down. And you got other people that are, that are just so weepy and sobby that Jesus has, has saved them and they come to that, rev- you know, that, that, that understanding. Martha is in the kitchen expressing her love to her Lord by providing a special meal for him. And Mary, her love language is is completely different. All of a sudden, she remembers that while sitting at Jesus' feet that, yeah, you know, I brought this anointing oil. I have this oil. You know, the spikenard, it was imported from India. It only grew in the hills or the slopes of the Himalayas. It would have been very expensive and later Judas is going to tell them that, that you know, she jumped, uh, dumped about 300 denarius. That's about a year's worth of salary for a common person. Not only is the oil expensive, but it's in an alabaster jar, which would have, uh, you know, which would have came from, from alabaster Egypt. Special stone that, that would hold the fragrance inside of it. Here's a, a picture of one of those little jars. Now, this one's a little bigger, but they would break the, uh, the stem of it there on the, where it gets really skinny. They would break that, and the jar would be useless after that point. This is an extravagant way for Mary to worship Jesus. She loves Jesus. 
Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. Jesus had let Mary become one of his students, which, you know, she was very close to the inner circle. You know, Jesus was very revolutionary in the first century. He was the first uh, teacher from the Jewish community to allow a woman to, to, to sit in his teachings, to, to allow them to learn just like men. Back then it was, you know, absolutely unheard of. It was a very intimate moment. And in a very, you know, appropriate way, she trusted Jesus. He trusted her and accepted her for who she was. You know, Mary was not the kitchen type of person. She did not enjoy the whole hosting party thing. And, you know, you know different people, some people love being in the kitchen and coming up with all these different concoctions, all these different foods, and, and oh, let me, let me get everything ready for the party. And other people are like, oh, man, you invited so-and-so over? It, that means we've got to cook. You know, different people are different ways. Jesus was an amazing person to Mary. Jesus was like a brother to her, but also she, she looked at him as her rabbi, but also he was, he was God for her. She had not, never met anyone like him. And Jesus seemed to understand who she was. He'd always allowed her to, to be at his feet in the teaching. Do you remember back in, in Luke 10, same Mary and Martha at a different time? The scriptures say that Mar- Martha was in the kitchen, because that's who Martha is, and she's in the kitchen and preparing the whole meal, and, and you know, and, and I could imagine the conversation between Mary and Martha. You know, Martha going to Mary and going, Mary, we got a job to do in the kitchen. What are you doing out here amongst the guys? You're not supposed to be out here. You're not even supposed to be sitting in there. You know, what type of role model are you to the, to the other young ladies? Now, Martha, she finally made the mistake of complaining to Jesus about this. And she kind of goes too far. And, you know, one thing is to, to feel one way about a person or, or something or something. And, you know, we're kind of in a complaining mode, but then we take it to Jesus. And, and you know, and sometimes he just kind of sets us straight. You know, we're thinking, man, I'm going to complain to Jesus about this. And he's going to go set that other person straight. And Jesus comes back and says, Alan, what are you thinking? Jesus set uh, Martha straight. You see, the best way to complain is to go to God first. To find out if you're correct or not before you go to another person. I think too often that, uh, you know, I'm kind of going on a, on, a, on a side note here that, that it's part of the scripture, but I really want to go here because I think we, we often complain too much. Who's a complainer? I'm the only one. Excellent. Good. We got one complaint. No. We all like to complain, don't we? Especially when we think we're right. And too often we forget to go to God about it. Too often we just go straight to the other person or, or we go get everybody else on our side. You know, you know how it goes. Can you believe so-and-so did this? I, I, I don't know, even know what they're thinking. Before we know all the facts. At first we've got to find out the facts, but secondly we've got to go to God about this stuff. Too often, uh, you know, we, we just get mad about this stuff. And that's, I'm just going to leave it there. I, I could go on all day on that one, but I'll just leave that. But we see Mary picking up on something here. I don't know if she, she kind of got this tone from Jesus or this attitude from Jesus. Like, this is different. This Passover is very different. 
But she picks something up and she takes this bar, a jar and she breaks it and she anoints Jesus. She anoints him in a place in a few days that soldiers would take this spike and hammer through his legs. I wonder if the smell was still on Jesus. I wonder if the soldiers could could pick up on that scent that was on his legs as they drilled that nail through his legs. I wonder if the soldiers, that when they come to arrest him, did they smell that? Did they get that scent? I wonder if later, later on that, that everybody in that room, every time they, they smelled that scent, would remember that particular meal. I wonder that sometime later when Peter was in another place, when he smelled spikenard, if it just brought him right back. I wonder, Martha, if she ever you know, cooked that same meal and then somebody else shows up, you know, wearing this perfume that if, you know, did she remember what her sister did? This is a very powerful worship experience for Mary, who really did waste a lot of money. But it wasn't a waste. Even though Judas thought it was. Why was this not sold? Why was this, you know, this money it should have been given to the poor? And of course it would have went through me first and I would have pocketed it a little bit. But, you know, that's just the business of of being in charge there, isn't it? Have you ever known a critical person? You all should be shaking your head no, right? Here Judas, who had been around Jesus, should have figured out grace by now, should have figured out what Jesus was all about. Three years of following his teachings. Yet he is the, you know, he's worse now than when he ever began. Right after dinner, he would go from this dinner and he would go straight to, to, to make a deal with, with the Romans and, and make the deal with the Sanhedrin. For 30 pieces of silver, he would take them to the rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. This put him over the edge. This was a total waste. This was unbelievable, you know, for, from his standpoint. Come on, Jesus, this is the fourth Passover you've had with us. When are you going to take charge? When are you going to go down there and ride on your your white horse and just take over? Because that's what needs to happen. And you're going to need this money to pay for soldiers. I mean, come on. They're shouting Hosanna about you. When are you going to rally the troops and fight the Romans and, and, and allow the Jews to get away from their oppression? This is coming from Judas, who really refuses to worship Jesus. Judas is the wrong person to be evaluating who Mary and and what Mary's doing. Verse 7, it says, and you're going to have to forward that, Lisa. Verse 7, it says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that you should save this pitcher, uh, this perfume, for the day of my burial. Oh, here he goes again. He's talking about his burial. He keeps talking about death and burial. And they just weren't getting it. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
Now, these people basically come from, from all over the Roman kingdom. You know, from, from Egypt, from areas of Iran and Iraq, all the way to India. And, and they would have heard the stories about Jesus and Lazarus. They would have heard that, you know, Lazarus was dead. And, and we talked a few weeks ago, you know, dead, dead. Not just a little dead, but three days dead. And he raised them from the, from, from the dead. And, you know, and they, a lot of them probably thinking, I just got to go see this for myself. I, I just got to, this is going to be cool. Both of them are going to be in the same place. I'm going to this meal. I don't care if I have to slip through a window. I'm going to get there. So verse 10, it says, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. They were after Lazarus also. And all he did was die, be buried, and raised from the grave by Jesus. But they wanted to kill him too. In Matthew 21, and I'm going to throw in some stuff from Mark and Luke, you know, but, you know, you know look in all the Gospels. I'm going to kind of throw some of it in here if you're in Matthew 21. But it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to, to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent the two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of me, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, and with her colt, uh, or with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Sion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And here we read this, we go, okay, I, I get it. He, they go and get a donkey, and, and he rides in on a donkey. I, you know, we, we teach to the kids that in Sunday school, don't we? But we've got to slow down here. We have to be a little amazed here, because Zechariah wrote this in 520 B.C., 500 years before Jesus was born, 500 years before Palm Sunday, 500 years before any conquering king rode into the city on a colt of a donkey. Zechariah was like, see, see, see a donkey colt? See, see a guy coming in on, on a donkey colt? Then you will know it's him. There are over 300 scriptures that Jesus fulfills that were foretold that he would do. Even this kind of would have seemed idiotic to the disciples. I mean, Jesus would have ridden this colt down a steep terrain. And I can imagine, I mean, this, this colt, I mean, we're talking about a small colt, uh, uh, you know, not one that's fully grown, not one that's been around that long. And, and you know, disciples would have been, Jesus, you're going to get on that thing, you're going to kill it. Uh, you know, if, if you've been to Israel or, or, or you've seen pictures coming over the Mount of Olives, I'm talking about it, it's a steep walk. It'll wear your legs out if you walk up and down that a couple of times. I mean, it's not just, oh, a gentle little slope. So you're riding on an animal, so you're kind of pitched back as you're going down. The animal's kind of going, I mean, this is not an easy thing to do. And Jesus is like, it'll be fine. But Lord, no one's ridden on that one before. It's not trained. It needs to be trained. Jesus is like, guys, just go get the colt. I need to fulfill a prophecy here. In Matthew 21, 6, it says the disciples went, down, uh, went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and, and Jesus sat on them. In John 12, it says, the next, uh, the next day a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
Jesus would have been about a mile uh, out of town at this point. The temple grounds are, are on, a, on a flat place called Mount Moriah. And then you would go down into the, the Kidron Valley. If you hear that name, you'll hear that name uh, sometimes through the Bible and sometimes through, through the news if you watch about Israel. And you go down the Kidron Valley. And then it goes back up on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So Jesus is on the hillside coming down the Kidron Valley looking across to the temple so you could see over the walls and you could see down into the temple grounds. So this is one of the views from the Mount of Olives that you would see there. And the people in the, you know, in the temple grounds, they were, they were there and they were buying their lambs for, for the sacrifice because it was law that the lamb had to be perfect. By law, they did this on the, on the 10th of the month of Nisan. And, and it's much like going and buying a Christmas tree for us. Because what you would do is on the 10th of this month, you would take your lamb and you would go to the chief priest, or not the chief priest, but you would go to all the other priests and they would inspect your lamb to see if it was perfect. And if it wasn't perfect, they would reject it. And then you're kind of out of luck, right? Well, they would say, well, you trade us this lamp and you buy another lamb that we've already certified is perfect. And they were making money off the whole thing. But you would take this lamb and you would care for it for four days at least. And then on the, you know, and then they would take this lamb and they would kill it about three o'clock in the afternoon as a sacrifice. And they would put it up on a fire and it would be consumed. And they would explain to their kids that, you know, what it meant to be in Egypt and the bondage that they went through and how Moses had saved them. So in the middle of all this going on, all the people lined up, giving their lambs for the sacrifice, you know, and all this stuff, the people looked up and the commotion is coming, you know, on the other side of the hill because the, the, the sound would echo down and around and come back up. And a large crowd is gathering and they're all, they're all screaming, they're all chanting, they're all singing and they're putting palm branches and all this stuff and, and they get excited because they can see that the teacher is coming and they flood it out onto the hillside and they spread out their cloaks and they, they put down the palm branches and they're giving him a royal welcome, a welcome that's fit for a king. Just in case he's ready to call them for rebellion. They're showing their allegiance here. And they scream out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now many of us recognize these words. And we can define most of them. Except the word Hosanna. It is a word that you have heard all of your lives and you probably never really thought about it much. The Hosa on the Hosanna means save or save us. And the Na part, the end of the word, means I beseech you or right now would be really good. So right now, Jesus, right now would be really great if you could save us. And what they meant was from the Roman oppressors, from those that are, that are over us, those that are lording it over us. This is an urgent prayer to God when you need him right away. It comes out of Psalms 118. And because of, the, you know, because of Passover, the people would have been singing these psalms all the way through there. Then you go read Psalms 114 to 118, and, and you know, those are the songs of the Passover. And you were sacrificing your lamb on Thursday. 
and your family, you'd walk around after, you know, singing these songs this whole time. So imagine the, the crowd going crazy here, singing to Jesus, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna. Imagine the Pharisees getting upset. Man, I, I can't believe this is happening. We've got to do something about Jesus. We've got to do something about this. We cannot allow this to happen. Not another year. This is going to be it. Luke tells us that the Pharisees told Jesus to tell his disciples to knock off the whole Hosanna stuff and the whole son of, of David thing. Because you're starting to sound like you're, you're, you're the Messiah or something. And he says as plainly as he can, I tell you what, boys, if these guys be quiet, then these very rocks will cry out. All of creation will cry out to me, the Messiah, to save them. And he would have been pointing his fingers at these rocks. Here's an overview picture. Looking at the walls of the temple. He would have been pointing at these walls and he said, these rocks will cry out. The rocks that Jesus was talking about he would have been called the chief cornerstone, which they rejected. These rocks will cry out. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The stars sing about God. Now Jesus is claiming this for himself. The day is going to, to come and, and go with them and, and, you know, making Jesus their Messiah. And Mark tells us that they entered the, the temple on these very steps right here and because it was late he entered the temple he looked around and he turned around and he walked right back out a very anticlimactic ending to a very awesome parade what is interesting is while everyone is selecting their, their, their Passover lamb no one selects him they call him the Messiah outside the temple, but when he gets to the temple, well, they're all busy with the, with the sacrificial lambs, and they ignore him. So he just goes home for the night. The next day, they will all head to the temple. It's a, it's a great holiday week. When they get there, they don't know that Jesus is already there in the corner, and he's already taken leather, and he's, he's making himself a whip. And he's going to, what we would say, freak out. He's just going to start turning over the money, money tables and clear the temple, you know. It would have been a big vacation, big vacation in your family. You've got to go get the, the lamb. You've got to do a little shopping while you're there. And the, the problem is that this holiday had become just that, a holiday instead of what it was meant to be. Focused on getting the best price or you're focused on making money. For years at this point, the, the market would have been known as the, the booths of, of Annas because the, the high priest, you know, got a cut of the profit. Jesus went through the temple overturning tables. You have taken my house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves, he says. He is crying out, and he's confronting them. You know, he has that look on his face that says, just stay out of my way today. You, you don't want to go there. Yet the children aren't afraid of Jesus. They're dancing around Jesus screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. 
And here comes the Pharisees. You got to st- get those kids out of there. You got to stop that. You got to stop that. The Pharisees hate it that he's called the Messiah. Luke tells us that he spent all week teaching in the temple. This is, an, a, very, this is a, a very incredible time of the year. Yet too often I think we think of it as, oh, Easter break. We think of it as, well, what, you know, am I going to take a little short trip? Am I going to take a longer trip? The kids are out of school. What do we do with all the kids? And we're so focused on the things, and we forget about the thing. And the thing is who? Jesus. That's what it's all about. Do we live our lives to the point where Jesus is the central theme of our life? Or is it just something we do on a daily basis, just we kind of just live? Do we get up in the morning thinking about Jesus? Do we go to bed thinking about Jesus? During the day, do we think about Jesus? I don't mean this as an admonishment. I, I mean this as an encouragement because that is what we need to be doing, especially this week. But then not only this week, we need to take it and let it go beyond this week. As we get toward Easter, you need to be thinking about who needs to hear about the Word of God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to to take that Word of God and just really tuck it inside of you and sit with it this week. I'm going to be emailing out uh, uh, for for Passion Week the, the scriptures that correlate to each day this week. So we can keep our our mind focused on what we need to keep it focused on. That's Jesus saving grace. Hosanna. Save us now. Save us right now would be really good. Hmm. Do you need saving? Does Jesus need to save you right now? Maybe it's for eternity. Or maybe you've already given your life over to him, so he needs to save you from whatever situation you're in. But he wants you to call out to him. Save me. Save me. Because he responds when we do. Let's pray. Hosanna. Son of David. Almighty One, Prince of Peace. Oh Lord, we ask that we do not we do not waste our time here. We do not waste this week thinking about all the earthly things. That we really take time to focus on who you are and what you want us to be in this life. Who you want us to tell about you. Who you want us to live our lives out in front of in such a godly way that they respond to that and ask about it. You stretched out the hands and the skies, Lord. You made the stars, you made the heavens, you made the earth, and you created us, and you loved us so much that you were willing to to go through this excruciating pain. You were willing to, to go through this week of rejection just to save us. Our Lord, I, I, I pray that we sat with that this week. That we, that we understand your saving grace has been put upon our lives. That we're marked forever for you. And that should take away the burdens. That should take away the pains. That should take away these things in this world that distract us from the job that you put us on this earth for. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you this week. And may you recognize him when he shows up in your life. May he forever be your savior. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week.